0: Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today, ladies and gentlemen, listen, I'm just going to say, share this out right now. Share it with all of your friends, your family, everybody you can get on here because this is going to blow your mind today. Make sure you share this out and stay with us. I have the one and only Chris Widener joining us today. This guy is going to blow you away. He's he's in the Hall of Fame, top 50 motivational speakers in the world. He's The guy wrote Jim Rohn's last book, The 12 Pillars. He is absolutely going to blow your mind. So please make sure you share this out and stay with us. I'm going to bring Chris on right now. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Ken, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to have you here, man. Uh, the, we have a lot to talk about. I, I I love what you're doing right now, but we're going to get to that in a second with, I don't know, people like Donald Trump Jr. and and Kaylee Nini. I always pronounce her name wrong. You've got some unbelievable people that you're working with. Um, but, let, you know, let's start with where, where you were. And, and see, just so you know, I created this show about three and a half years ago. um, And it was literally to help people have a breakthrough in life because you know how people get stuck. Yeah. Right. We've, we've all been there. And, and I think that by hearing other people's stories, we, we, we help them, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So where were you born and raised? Born and raised in Seattle, Washington.
1: I spent the first 50 years of my life in Seattle Uh, with, you know, a little bit of a jaunt. I went to college in Minnesota for a little bit. I spent three years right out of college working in northern New Jersey, which was a a very fortuitous time in my life for many reasons. Um, But the vast majority of my time, right in the Seattle area. And I remember uh, when I called my mom on her 70th birthday, she was over on Bainbridge Island. So I was a couple hours away, and I wished her happy birthday. And at the end, she said, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm moving to Tucson. And I said, you're moving to Tucson. What are you talking about? Like, you don't even know anybody down there. And she said, I've lived 70 years in the rain, and I'm not going to die in the rain. (laughs) So when I turned 50, I thought to myself, I've lived 50 years in the rain, and I'm not going to die in the rain. So I moved to Scottsdale. So Where uh, it is
0: literally sunny all the time. (laughs) Yeah,
1: although we're moving to to, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee here in the next uh, month so are you really yeah yeah oh I think I saw
0: something about that big changes at 55 you know what though I have a lot of friends I have a a friend an optometrist client of mine um that he just moved to Chattanooga and bought this house right on the I mean it's freaking gorgeous man you can
1: you can move from a studio apartment in New York and buy a you know an 8,000 square foot mansion in Chattanooga
0: (laughs) Yeah, for a thousand bucks a month. So I, I it's it's crazy what's going on in Chattanooga. So yeah, and they have area. like the, the best internet in the country. I don't know. Yeah, gig know city. They call it gig yeah. city. They yeah. made a decision early on that they were gonna wire uh fiber all throughout the city. So It's crazy, man. That's awesome. That's dude. That's like a five and a half hour drive for me. So, (laughs) well, it's it's near
1: a lot of places. It's near Atlanta. It's near Asheville. It's near Nashville. It's uh, near
0: Memphis. You could go north into Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. All over the place. It's, it's, it's nice though. Oh gosh. Here. Brad Schroeder says so many Tennessee fans though. <laughs> hey, Whatever, man. That's, it's a beautiful area. Well, we have a,
1: we have a daughter at university of Alabama. So roll tide. And then we have a daughter at uh, Vanderbilt. So anchor down, but uh, we got one in Tennessee. We're rooting for Vanderbilt.
0: Wow. That's awesome, man. So, so um, I lived in Seattle for a year, by the way. Oh, you did. Yeah. I lived in Magnolia. Oh, beautiful part of the city. Yeah. Beautiful. And I remember I was out there the whole year I was there that people were like, it's unusual. There's no rain this year. I'm like, I I don't know, man. And then other people like, oh, that's a myth. We don't get that much rain. (laughs) Well,
1: you get more days of rain, but you don't get like we were we were looking for houses in Chattanooga here about a month ago. And I just said to, to Denise, I said, I've never seen rain like this. In 55 years, 50 of which I lived in Seattle. Uh Seattle's much more of a misty, misty. kind of a drizzly, misty for more days kind of city. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I it's it's beautiful. I remember thinking I'm gonna retire here someday. Like, Mm. but yeah, no, I probably won't. (laughs) The reality is I'll be in Chattanooga with you. Yeah, exactly. So you grew up out in Seattle and, and, and where did you end up going to, going to college? I I remember hearing you in a video, um, you quoted Zig Ziglar saying that you, you in high school, you graduated in the, the. How's the that, how well, Zig, that Zig always used to say I was in the half of the
1: class that made the top half possible. And I always say I was in the 10th of the class that made the top 90% possible. I graduated 149th out of 172 kids in my class. Oh my gosh. Wow. So what did you, but you did end up going to college. I did. And I got a minister, a youth and family ministry degree and I okay. became a youth minister. Wow. And uh, I, my first job was in a little town called Mendham, New Jersey. And Mendham is about 45 minutes straight west outside of New York City. Very, very, very affluent town. Um, Whitney Houston lived there at the time. She lived right in the middle of Mendham. Just wow. southwest was Bernardsville, um, Basking Ridge, which is where Mike Tyson lived, as did uh, Malcolm Forbes. And so very, very, very affluent area. And there were a lot of people in my church uh, where I you know, had the kids in the youth group and all that. And they were titans of industry. And uh, they were serving on the church elder board, and then they were running Prudential and Exxon and Mars Candies and all these giant corporations. And, you know, some of my first business mentors were the number two guy at Prudential, uh, the, the number one guy, the president, CEO of Mars Candies, my um, you know, just great people that
0: really invested in me as a young man. Wow. What kind of impact did that have on on you? I mean, that because I know y- y- you had mentioned... Um, and maybe, maybe I'm not recalling exactly how you said it, but growing up and, and going through high school, I mean, if you're graduating in the bottom 10% of the class, that means there was some, what's the word tumultuousness in, I was going to say New drugs America? and
1: alcohol, probably drugs <laughs> and alcohol. I started oh, drug- oh yeah. I started drugs in the fifth or sixth grade, um, smoked opium for the first time in the eighth grade. I lived in 28 homes and went to 11 different schools. Um, my mom shipped me off to live with relatives twice, once in the fourth grade, once in the ninth grade. And, uh, yeah, so tumultuous was, uh, that's an understatement. Um, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was on the verge a lot at all times. I think the only thing that saved me, two things that saved me, both sports related. I was good at sports. I played quarterback and football, point guard and basketball catcher, and then eventually second base in baseball. Um, and then I was a ball boy for the Seattle supersonics. So growing up, uh, from 11 to 18, I was a ball boy for the Sonics. Uh, the the first year that I was there, we lost the World Championship in seven games to the Washington Bullets. The second year I was there, when I was 12 and 13, we won the World Championship. And at the age of 13, I was in a ticker tape parade through downtown Seattle with a half a million people. And then I'm like, "Where do you go from here? What? Oh my god! How, do you, how wow. do you ever top? How do you ever top the ticker tape parade with a half a million people raining stuff down on you after winning an NBA championship? So." Um, yeah, Where do pretty, you go?
0: It, well, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're... it is. it
1: was a pretty, pretty fun day. I mean, if you think, <laughs> about, I mean, I've had some, I've had some great days, you know, uh, standing, speaking to 25,000 people in an arena is pretty amazing. Um, I, I think I'm the only person ever who has given a speech in Cairo, Egypt in the morning and Los Angeles in the evening, all on the same day. Um, I've traveled all over the world to Singapore, China, Russia, uh, Germany, Egypt, twice, um, all over the United States. So it's been a crazy fun life. And
0: and the ticker tape parade, how old were you? 15? I was 13. Yeah, it was June, June of
1: 1979. We had just won the world championship in five
0: games against uh, the Washington Bullets. So you're 13 years old. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. It was a pretty big deal. Uh, In hindsight, right? you got to go. My life topped out at 13. So, so you're either like, all right, we're gonna crash and burn now, um, or we got to go up somehow from here. Um, because you can't like how you how you can't flatline from there like that would just suck. So yeah, well have to- no, I mean I've had a I've
1: had a great life. I've
0: had a great yeah. career. I've met amazing people. Yeah. Uh, both worked with
1: people and just bumping into people. Um, you know I was uh, Zig Ziglar and I had a television show together. Jim Rohn and I, you know we um we spent the last seven years of his life working together. And and then I've just met people through all my speaking engagements. And now with the event that I'm putting on, I'm meeting all sorts of new people and and all those kinds of things and uh i'll tell you a funny story we bumped into somebody once we were in mykonos greece and my wife and i and our two girls and we walked into this little bar and by little bar i mean there was like five tables and it was overlooking (laughs) the water and it was us four and our daughters always say why do you guys talk to everybody and uh because we just we like to talk to people so we sit down and there's an older couple they looked like they were early 70s and we get to talking and the woman says to me what do you do for a living and i said i'm a writer and she puts her hand on her husband's knee and says oh my husband is a writer as well which is the understatement of the conversation (laughs) and i said oh really like what do you mainly write and he said well i'm i'm kind of a playwright mostly i'm a playwright oh okay and then his wife says he's much too uh much too humble to tell you this but have you ever heard of an egot and I said, yeah, he got Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. There's very few people who've won all four Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Yeah, yeah, And she says, well, the only one my husband hasn't won is the Tony. So I looked at him and I said, so all you're left with is the ego. And he thought <laughs> that was the funniest thing ever. So I said, so, you know, have you written anything I might have heard of, uh, you know, play I might have heard of? And he said, Mary Poppins. <laughs> oh, and I went, so then I'm talking to him, you know, and, and I said, what are you working on now? Now, this was June of 2019. I said, what are you working on now? He said, well, there's a movie being released in September based around a television show that I created. And I said, oh, well, what TV show did you create? He said, it's called Downton Abbey. And so we had been sitting there with Julian Fellows, who's, oh a, you know, um, one of the greats. And then his wife, who's a member of the royal family, we found out uh, she's the lady in waiting to the Duchess of Kent.
0: And wow. As we walked
1: out of the bar that day, Denise turned and looked at Caitlin and said, that's why you talk to everybody. Because <laughs> you just never know who you're going to talk to. And Amen. Experience. And so we talked to everybody. And I think it's actually one of the skill sets that I learned, you know, moving so much. My mom, when my dad died when I was four. So my mom went into flipping houses. And I don't know why she didn't flip in the same school district, but, uh, you know, we moved around a lot. And I do think that's one of the skill sets that I learned. I can walk into almost any room and build rapport very quickly. And I, yeah. I wasn't purposely learning that as a first grader. I mean, I wasn't saying to myself, you know, I'm going to learn a lifelong skill here on how right. to build rapport. And, but it just happened. And it's been something that served me well the rest of my life.
0: Well, and you know, I mean, we talked before we went live. We have a lot of mutual friends, and yeah. um, Tom and Julie and Cindy Ziegler are all dear yeah. friends of mine. Julie's a client; we built her website. But like, <clears throat> you know, I I'm uh, I think we 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 may be cut from a very similar cloth. I, I have 19 years sober. I, I I got sober 19 years ago because I the yeah the world's a better place as a result so yeah um you know i i I can relate to a lot of what you're talking about and and one of the things that i talk a lot about chris is um like and i i normally wait to the end but i'm going to ask you this now what do you think you've seen this thousands of times maybe hundreds of thousands but people that 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 you, you see them you're like, God, they got so much potential, so smart, so talented, but they're stuck. They can't get out of that $500 a week income level mindset and get to the 5 million or whatever. What do you think keeps people there? Keeps them stuck. I, I have
1: spent the last three or four years. I wish I would have, I wish I could go back 30 years and study psychology a little bit more um, but I've studied the last three years the concept of identity. And that is, who do we think we are? So if I say to you, you know, who are you or what are you? There's all sorts of labels that we could put ourselves on. You know, for me, I'm, I'm a dad, I'm a grandpa, I'm a man, I'm white, I'm a Christian, uh, I'm an Arizonan. You like there's just so many ways that you can create identity. I'm a Seahawks fan. And, and I think that people, they create this identity and then it's very difficult for them to get out of that identity. And if that identity is wrapped up into negative behavior, um, as opposed to just something like, you know, your skin color or the state you live in or your faith or something like that, it's wrapped up in something negative like, um, I'm fat or I'm poor, or, you know, I, I, our family's a a blue collar family. Nobody goes to college in our family. That's, that's your identity. And I'll tell you a funny story. You, you, I don't know if you know the name Tom flick or not, but Tom was a Rose bowl champion high uh, uh, university of Washington quarterback. He played in the NFL mostly as a backup for 10 or 12 years, but he's playing for the Redskins and his very first game, he had never taken a snap in the NFL And uh, Joe Theismann went down with an injury, not the big one that that we all know and associate with Joe Theismann, but an injury. And Tom went into the game, and he put his hands under the center's butt to take the the snap. And Jack Lambert, they were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Jack Lambert was one of the most beastly linebackers of NFL history. And he had no middle teeth. Yeah, and he came walking across the line. Back when you could, you could used to be able to walk across the line as long as you got back over in time. He walked across the line, literally stuck his face right next to Tom's face, and said, "Who are you?" And then walked <laughs> back across the other side of the line. And Tom's like, "That, that was my welcome to the NFL." Jack Lambert oh spit in my face, yelling, "Who are you?" But he said, <sighs> he said after the game when I was flying home on the team jet, I kept thinking to myself, "Who am I?" Who mm. am I? Am I a football player? Am I a quarterback? Am I a leader? Am I a man? Am I a Christian? Am I a businessman? Am I an athlete? Like, and I think this whole concept of identity, uh, it 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 is, um, it's like a thermostat. Your identity is like a thermostat, and this is the analogy I always use. If if your thermostat is set at seventy and you open the door and it's eighty outside, your thermostat is going to say, "We're not seventy anymore, but we are a seventy household." So I'm going to turn the air conditioning on and bring us back to 70. Mm. If you open the door and it's only 60 and the cool air starts coming in, the thermostat says, we're a 70 household. We got to make it 70. And it turns the heat back on. Yeah. And I think the same is true in our lives. If, if we say I'm a poor person or I'm a blue collar person, then you could win the lottery for $5 million. And, and your brain says, uh-oh, we're not rich. We're poor. Got to get rid of the money got to get rid of the money. You got to spend the money. You got to blow the money until it brings you right back down to being, Oh, now here we are. We're poor. That's who we are. Or weight. If you know a lot of people who've wow. kept on a lot of weight over the years, and then they lose it. And yeah. at a deep subconscious psychological level, it's, you can't weigh this little. You're, you're not a skinny person. You're a fat person. Put the weight back on. I think there's a lot of the things that happen that are wrapped up in our identity and how our subconscious does everything it can to fulfill that which we believe about ourselves.
0: I love that. What you just, I love that. Love that. I'm going to take that and and make so many sound bites out of it. You're going to become the most famous person ever. Like that, that's brilliant. And, and, you know, my, my question though, is, is how do you, I mean, I have some ideas, but how do you get somebody to, interrupt those patterns, you know, we've all heard the scratch the, the, the album, the vinyl record and, and, and interrupt the pattern. And how do you get somebody to shift into the, the, I am rich. Is it yeah. just sitting around doing affirmations all day? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, just sit there on your butt with your hands and your lapsing singing on. Um. And eventually a Ferrari will show up in your driveway. I mean, right.
0: Pretty, pretty uh, it doesn't work. I tried it for you. I have a Ferrari. <laughs>
1: um, no, it, it is. It's, it's profoundly difficult because it is so deep within us mm-hmm. of who we are. Um, but I think, I'm not a massive action person. I get that there's lots of people who are like, take massive action and, and I get it and I but to me, I'm more of an incremental person. I think it's easier to change your beliefs incrementally. Um, you know, maybe you're supposed to weigh 175 pounds and you weigh 275 pounds. Well, get yourself to 250 and then see yourself as a, a person who weighs 250 you know, and spend some time there and get used to it and comfortable with it and then become a person who weighs 225 and then a person who weighs 200 and, you know, moving yourself down. Um, I I think it's like people always say about Justin Bieber or some of these people, they're like, how do he end up so crazy? I'm like, I'll tell you how he ended up crazy. You handed quarter of a billion dollars to a 17 year old kid. That's how he ended up crazy. Right. You know, you, you, you need to work into it. And, um, and I think people who get wealthy slow um, are are much more able to handle it than those people who just get a ton of money dropped in their lap because they just they just don't know what to do with it.
0: That is so true. And I've I've read all these, you know, you, you hear all these things from Tony Robbins, Chris Widener. You hear, I mean, you hear it's in books everywhere. I've I've read it. I've studied it and I see it and, 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 and you're a thousand percent, right. I remember not to bring up just recovery because uh, we don't have, you know, in recovery, I I always said, well, we don't have the market cornered on pain and insanity. There's, there's, you know, other people that have that too, but I can remember thinking on day one, I, I met people that had 20, 30, 40 years of recovery and they had the Ferrari and they had all this, you know, and I was like, I want that now. I don't want to wait. Like I want that now, you know? So, so, and I think that that's common, especially in today's world. It's very, very common. Um, So, so you, you ended up, um, you, you went to college, you graduated with a degree in, in youth and family, youth and family. um, And, and you took that and, and what, what did you do from there? You started building a career. I know you worked with Jim Rohn for the last seven years of his life. And I kind of
1: had two tracks going. So
0: I was a pastor. So I spent
1: uh, from 88 until 91 in Mendham, New Jersey as a youth minister. Yeah. And then in 91 at the uh, ripe old age of 25 years old, I moved back to my hometown of Seattle and started a church. Wow! Um, in fact, when I ended up on the board of our denomination, I went to the, my first meeting, and before we started, there was all these guys around the table, and and the district superintendent says, "Does anybody have any questions before we start?" And I said, "Yeah, I got a question." And he said, "Chris, what's your question?" I said, which one of you was in charge of letting me start a church when I was 25 years old? Because that was a dumb decision. <laughs> like you, you should be 35 before you. Uh, I was a senior pastor at the age of 25.
0: Oh my so god! We started
1: churches, but our denomination didn't have any money to pay me. So, um, so I ended up um, uh, ended up starting a publishing company called the American Community Business Network, and I produced a faxed business journal. It went out on the weekends. It started at February. I used WinFax Pro out of my laptop. It went to like 10,000 businesses every weekend. And it literally dialed them up and faxed them a four-page uh, mm-hmm. a four-page deal. It faxed all weekend long, made money on advertising. But then that's where I started writing computer tips, motivational tips, business tips. Wow. Well, eventually, we turned that company into a, a business selling audio programs through Costco and Sam's Club. We were selling about fifty to 75,000 boxes a month. Uh, featuring famous motivational speakers, John Maxwell, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, you know, those Dennis Waitley, Brian Tracy, those types. And wow. and so I was making money as, a, as a, a speaker while I was pastoring a church, mainly to feed my family. And so it was funny, I started speaking at Harvard Business School and General Electric and Cisco Systems and all these big ones. Oh, my God. And I took a graduate class before he was really famous. He was only famous in the church world. I took a graduate leadership class at the Northwest Graduate School of Ministry from John
0: Maxwell. Wow. Before and, he was famous.
1: Yeah, he was making like $10,000 a speech, mainly talking to pastors and doing wow. pastors conferences. And uh, and so I took a graduate class from him and for a week-long graduate class and then um, got to know him a little bit. And then uh, I ghost wrote for John for a couple of years in the early 2000s. That's when Jim Rohn decided to call and say, hey, do you want to come write with us? And I said, sure. Uh, I don't want to ghost write. I want my name to go on it. So um, we wrote the Jim Rohn one-year plan. Kyle Wilson, myself, and Jim wrote the one-year plan. And then uh, then out of that came a book called The Twelve Pillars, which focuses on the 12 pillars of the one-year plan. And uh, that came on the heels of my biggest book that I ever did, uh, called *The Angel Inside*, which was number two on the Wall Street Journal, number seven on the New York Times, number three on Am- all of Amazon for a week.
0: Uh, oh my the only, only
1: books that beat me on Amazon that week were the uh, pre-launch of of Harry Potter, and um, and uh, the lost book of J.R.R. Tolkien uh, that his wow. grand that, uh, that his grandson found in his attic after he died. So I figure if you're gonna be number three on Amazon, it may as well be to the greatest fiction series right. of all time and one of the greatest, and the writer of the Lord of the Rings, I guess.
0: You know? Oh my gosh, and, that's so. unbelievable! So, so you, um, I, I, I grabbed a piece of paper. I'm like, okay, don't lose that question. I lost it. Um, something you said triggered a a question I had, and I lost it, mm-hmm. but uh, it'll come back, I'm sure. So you, you, um. You're so you're going through your writing. You're doing all these things with with. I mean, dude, some some of the greats. I mean, Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar. You're doing all this stuff with some amazing people. How did you? I know what the question was. How did you overcome? Because you had to. I mean, you're graduating in the bottom of your class in high school. You went through all the the troubles you talked about. How did you overcome the imposter syndrome?
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, Kyle Wilson, who was the president of Jim Rohn International, at one point in probably 2005, 2006, he said, you need to write a book on influence. And I said, why? And he said, I don't know anybody like you. You pull your phone out. You've got billionaires, rock stars, professional athletes, hedge fund managers. like, And if you don't know, like literally, if you don't know somebody, you know somebody who knows that person. And so I, I had never really thought about that question. How did I go from this drug-addicted, alcohol, you know, crazed out high school kid who was nothing but trouble? 47 written referrals, my sophomore year, to the high school principal's <laughs> office. And then how did I end up here? And I'd never really thought about it. I just really had never thought about it. And I think it's interesting the imposter syndrome. I everything I do is Based on and informed by my theology. and I, I I frankly believe everybody's everybody's life is based on their theology.
0: yeah, sure. they, they may
1: they may have no theology, and that affects how they live their life. Sure. Um, and my theology tells me that we are all sinners and all have fallen short of the glory of God. amen. And at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. So while I can be impressed with someone's capabilities or their potential or their experiences or their successes, I have never viewed anyone as better than me. And I don't view myself as better than anybody else. Um, And so an imposter syndrome is based more on you thinking someone else is better than you and now you have to pretend to be as good as them. Well, if you don't believe that anybody's better than anybody else, you don't have to view yourself as an impostor. Um, there is nobody in the world that I don't believe I deserve to be in a room with. Um, God values me as much as He values the Queen of England, or you know Vladimir Putin, or you know Ted Cruz, or Britney Spears, or you name a famous person, you name an actor, Tom Cruise, whatever. You know they can learn from me, and I can learn from them, and. And uh, we're all just trying to get through this life. So to me, I think that's probably it was when I walked into a room, I didn't worry about whether the person was better than me, richer than me, smarter than me. I just walked into a room determined to deliver value and be the best self, the best person, the best Chris Widener that I
0: could be. That is an absolutely unbelievable answer. I, I mean, that, that again, I, because I see it, I see it very, very similarly. Um, I'm known as the master connector. Um, I have Kyle's cell phone number. I, as a matter of fact, I texted him and Ron this morning saying, Hey, I got Chris on the show, oh, yeah, cool. um, and, you know? And I think about that and people are like, how are you so connected? And, I, and it's the same. I'm just like, cause I, I mean, people in your position and, and I'll use you as an example, cause I've not spoken all over the world like you have. Um, somebody in your position that's accomplished what you've accomplished, people think you're untouchable. Like you, you can't, you're well, let, me, let me tell you.
1: Let me tell you a story. My yeah. first business mentor was the CEO of Mars Candies. That's and crazy, everybody man. at Mars, and at the time it was $25 billion a year, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. I don't even know what they're doing now. But you know that nobody at Mars Candies answers their own phone. I mean, uh, pardon me. Everybody answers their own phone. Wow. And that's what he always told me, Chris always answer your own phone. And so I do, it's funny. I'll answer the phone and I'll see, it comes through my one 800 number and it comes through and I, it forwards in and I'll answer. And they're like, Oh, hi. Um, who am I talking to? And I'll say, this is Chris. And they say, you, you answer your own phone. And I, Yeah. Answer my own phone. What do you want to talk about? And, and I always love the surprise when people say, I'm actually talking to you. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? Let's talk. That's why, it's amazing. That's why I have a phone.
0: <laughs> but, but see, a lot of people, most people, not a lot, most people will not try to reach out to you. I remember you know Bob Berg, right? Oh, I love Bob. Yeah. Bob's amazing. He might be the nicest guy in the world. Do you I mean, is. he is? I know. So I remember reading his book, The Go Giver, and 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 there was a phone number in the back or some somewhere. And I, I looked him up and I was like, I want to work on Bob's website. I want to help him. So I, I I I call him. I call this number I found, and he freaking answered the phone. <laughs> I'll yeah. never forget. I go, is is this Bob? Cause I had seen some videos and he's, he, it sure is who's calling and, and it was crazy. So I, now I'm not encouraging everybody to reach a cold call. Chris Widener today. I've Don't given my think. phone
1: number out. I I think the biggest audience I ever did it was in Garland, Texas. There was 7,000 people. I gave my cell phone number out. Oh, my and I God. said if I can ever help you. And but you know what? I've really realized most people are never going to bother you like that. Never. And, and and I've been very open with it. But you know, people know that, especially in this day and age, if they call you up and they're just harassing you, you just block their number. Right, so it's not gonna not gonna benefit them anyway.
0: Right, you know? that's true. But most people, my point is, most people are not going to reach out. Most people are no. not going to call. It's no. crazy. No. And 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 so I think the differentiator is like just uh, stop caring about what everybody else is going to think. And re- I mean, why I I asked you to be on the show, and I was like, why haven't I ever asked you to be on the show? Like it's crazy. I'm just but, thinking the know, same thing, Ken. Why have you never? <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> I know, but How you did. know, so so over the last um we'll just say year and a half, and I I want to kind of move into what you're doing now. Um, because now you're working with this is this where you want to destroy half your audience when we start talking about what Widener's doing now? Oh no, I I hey people need to share this out because this is this is I think this is this has been great. This is about to reach a different level. Um so now you've gone past the, you know, working with some of the most amazing motivational and and inspirational speakers in the world. Um, to, holy crap, dude! You're, you're 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 sharing the stage with Donald Trump Jr., Kaylee Um The uh, I can't I can't Dinesh name Dinesh them
1: all. Sousa, we had Dinesh in our last event. It's
0: crazy. Sheriff
1: David Clark, Dan Bongino. Uh, uh, our next event, we have uh, Dinesh and Don Jr. and Kaylee McEnany. We have Judge Janine Piero, who I, I'm looking forward to meeting for the first time. And yeah, so we're we're very excited about it.
0: Amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, and who's the one girl? Um... Uh, Candace, Candace Owens. Candace. Can, yeah. I love Candace. Candace man. is, you know, she just had a baby, so she's not doing as
1: much traveling. She's going to be with us live via satellite. She will not be at the place, but live via satellite. Um, and so it's going to be uh, going to be fun. We're going to have great speakers. Then we got a ton of other speakers as well. And uh, Waldo Waldman. He's another guy you should have on, um, on your, your podcast sometime. Waldo's fantastic. One of the most in-demand speakers, uh, wrote a book called Never Fly Solo, former fighter pilot, great guy. Wow! Um, he spoke at our last event. He's going to be doing Phoenix as well. So, um, lot of, Ron White, of course, you know he was at the event. He's going to be at this event as well. So lots wow. of great, lots of
0: great, uh, lots of great stuff. So, so it's the American Freedom Tour, right? It is. They can um, find us at AmericanFreedomTour.com. AmericanFreedomTour.com. dot com. I'm going to have that up on the the scrolling across the bottom. So talk about. Um, talk about why you, um, decided that you, you would, because you're the founder of American freedom tour, right? Yep. So so a couple of partners. Yeah. What made you, what made you decide, you know, we need to get, get some speakers together. Um, I have that right. Correct. Americanfreedomtour.com. Correct. Yeah. If somebody would do me a favor and type that in with the www in front of it. So it's clickable from the comments. People can get over there. So, and you can buy tickets and the tickets are like dirt cheap, dirt, dirt, dirt cheap. We have
1: dirt cheap ones and we have expensive ones. Just depends Uh, on what, uh, just depends on what kind of experience you want to have there. You can come and sit in the cheap seats and enjoy the show, or you can, you can have lunch and breakfast with the speakers, get your pictures taken, have a small round table, all sorts of neat stuff.
0: But that's only five grand. Yeah. I mean... I'm sorry but that's that's still I mean it's not that's not that that's to, to like you're going to hang out with Donald Trump Jr. you're going to ha- I mean that's crazy like Yeah
1: yeah no we're looking forward to it and uh, we had a great response at our first event our second event's going to be even better
0: Wow so okay so back to why did you decide America needed this because well, you're you Well know, it's, it's a lot. funny
1: As you go through your life, you rarely think, how is this all going to come to, uh, you know, uh, how does it all come together? So I was a pastor for a while. Um, I have been a motivational speaker since 1988. I was a pastor from 88 to 2002. And in 2003, I got involved in politics when my best friend decided to run for the governor of Washington State. And that got me involved in politics. I ran for the U.S. Senate during the primaries in 2010 in Washington state. Wow. I've consulted with people running uh, everything from president on down to dog catcher and uh, helped them with their speaking and messaging and those kinds of things. I owned a website uh, back in the uh 2014 to 2015, 2013 to 2015, somewhere in there. We built it in two years. It became one of the top fifteen conservative websites in America. We had a million-person Facebook page. We got onto radio. My partner and I did start doing drive-time radio. Jeez. Uh, when I left radio and moved to Scottsdale, he kept doing the radio, and um, and uh, then he ended up subbing for Rush Limbaugh. Right before Rush passed away, he was subbing for Rush and. Todd has an amazing uh, drive time radio career now up in Seattle. And and so now all of a sudden we have all the shenanigans of the last, well, the last five years has been nothing but shenanigans. And then the last year and a half has been the greatest shenanigans in the history of the world. Amen. Literal insanity. It's amazing to me how half the population can lose their collective minds. And, um, and so I was getting to the point where I was just so kind of tired of, I was thinking, I just don't want to do this political thing anymore. But then I just had a lot of people say, no, this is your calling. When you talk, people listen. And uh, and so I'm sort of pulling all those things together, pastor, uh, businessman, speaker, uh, politica, you know politician. One of the people who wrote about our, our show said it's part political convention, part motivational rally and part religious revival. And, wow. uh, and that's a great, you know, that's how the event felt. It felt like you were having a lot of fun, but we talked about, uh, faith. Uh, we talked about family, how to have better families. Um, we talked about finances, um, um, and so it says some, some, I'm reading the comments. I don't understand yeah. it either, Chris. I truly believe they've lost their minds. Um, but yeah, so anyway, it's uh, it's a great movement. We're looking forward to taking it all across the country and very excited about it.
0: And you started in, was it Jacksonville?
1: Jacksonville, yep. yeah. And we got great TV coverage from the local station. Wow. Um, and um, no, it, it went very well. We had thousands of people out for our first event. And people are responding very positively. And Ron,
0: Ron was there.
1: Ron was there writing the names of all the people who passed away um, in in
0: Afghanistan. Yep. Yeah. So what? It let's get it. Can we get into your opinion? Sure. <laughs> well, I, I'll give my opinion. I'll tell anybody.
1: I, and here's the thing. You know, it's funny that we're kind of afraid to even talk about. Our I, opinions. I know. But I think that's part of the problem. Is I want everybody to have their opinion heard. It yeah. used to be called the uh, the free flow of information and the exchange of ideas, the marketplace of ideas. And ideas would all get thrown in and the best ideas won. Well, now yeah. you're not even allowed to share your ideas. And, um, and it's insane. So yeah, let's talk about, I, I, just because I believe it doesn't
0: make it true. And if you believe right. differently, tell me. I, I was invited by a friend of mine here. She was a, a TV anchor person for NBC for 20 years, um, and she left there. And now she she hosts a couple of radio shows on conservative a con- very conservative radio station here, 610 WTVN. Mm-hmm. And she invited me down last Sunday to be her co-host for this one particular show. Oh. And we were talking about this on air that that you know back in the day the news was the the the, the person reporting the news the the reporter the, the they, their opinion wasn't included it wasn't part of it dan rather right. didn't get walter cronkite they didn't give their opinion they just rather did a little bit
1: toward the end of his career when he got a little flaky, but yeah, yeah, yeah no, right, I mean, right. journalism, journalism says this, the 55 year old man drove the red car to the store. He stopped at the stop sign and turned right, went a mile and turned into the grocery store. That's a reporter. I told yep. you what he did. Yeah. What we see now, or that's a journalist. What we see now is, is, the really old bad man got into a junky car and drove too fast and didn't stop at the stoplight yep. because he's a bad guy. Yep. And then, you, you know, it's all this commentary in order to, to let their bias filter through. And we need real journalists. Here's what the person said. What do you
0: think of that? Tell them. But don't you think that, I mean, look, I- I, I've got some deep, deep, deep opinions about all this. The Don't you think that the globalist um, agenda is what's, like, we'll just say it, CNN. I'm going to throw it out there. Um, the Clinton News Network. So, so. CNN is is controlling what the journalists report. They're not allowing them to be unbiased. They're saying we we have a we have a gal here in Arizona. She was 25 years as a news anchor here. Carrie Lake is
1: her name. K A R I L A K E. Carrie Lake. And uh, in the middle of the pandemic, or at the beginning of the pandemic, they were telling her say this, and she's like, "That's not true." And they're like, "We don't care. Say it anyway." Right. It took her about five of those times to say, "I'm not going to." be turned into a liar to culminate my career so she quit now she's the she's the lead candidate for governor next time around so uh she there's there's about a 90 percent chance she's going to be the next governor of the state of arizona
0: but you're seeing so you're seeing all of these whistleblowers come out and say you know i can't do this anymore i like carrie lake and 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 other people like what's what is your opinion about what's really going on i've heard you know we've i've i've watched documentaries about the cabal i've watched uh, you know all these different things what is your opinion about what is truly happening
1: um i think that obama is still in charge i think it's obvious um you know he's got susan rice embedded into the into the deal she does all of his bidding Uh, He even said, you know, I wish that I could have a third term, but only with somebody who had a mic in their ear and I could tell them what to say and do. Um, Everything that's happening is is based on what he wants to have happen. He's the de facto leader of the party. He's the biggest fundraiser. He's the biggest leader. He's still relatively young. Um, But uh, the left hates America Uh, or America as it was and as it is. They believe that we are by nature an evil country that has hurt people and harmed people and enslaved people and stolen from people. And therefore, we are bad. And primarily, it's white people, white Europeans who came to the U.S. and stole from the Indians and enslaved uh, African-Americans. And therefore, we need to be destroyed. And we shouldn't be able to enjoy the wealth that we have because it was all stolen wealth. And therefore, it needs to be redistributed. We need to be taken down a few notches. We shouldn't be the world's superpower because we're evil. We should, uh, you know, have mutually assured destruction with you know as many other countries as possible. Wow. Um, it, there is an anti-Judeo-Christian uh, push toward traditional religious values, which doesn't equate into any sort of pushback against Islam um so you know it's it's funny to me where you might have uh you might have for example american christians who say homosexuality is a sin but they don't care if two homosexuals want to live together and get married or whatever they're like here's my belief it's a sin but go do what you want it's america you know whatever but uh they'll hate the christians for saying it's a sin but they support islam uh, where in Islamic countries they'll take a homosexual and throw him off a building or light him on fire or shoot him through yeah. the head or you know whatever it's just yeah. um, it's just very very interesting times we live in and and I think um, I think the globalists for 50 or 60 years have stripped God out of schools they've they've tried to uh, strip God out of the the social square Um you know and it was all planned starting in the 50s and 60s there's a great wo- book written called slouching towards gomorrah by robert bork you probably remember robert bork as the guy that uh, they were trying to put on the supreme court and they destroyed him and they borked him it's now a yeah. verb but he wrote a book about how it was all planned yeah and um he wrote it in the late 90s 30 years into the plan and now 20 something years later the plan is Culminating, and we just don't we don't have people that understand history. We don't have right. people that understand faith, and so they're just
0: going along with everything. So with the American Freedom Tour, I mean, you're, you you start in Jacksonville. You've got this this next month. You're you're doing um uh you're in Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona. Yep, Phoenix. Um, and where are you going from there? Do you have any other cities? We have a few camp? cities
1: up our sleeve through the okay. first quarter. Uh, you can imagine we're probably not going to Boston or Seattle or Los Angeles <laughs> or San Francisco. Your uh, hometown?
0: You're not no, going to your hometown? <laughs> no,
1: we're going to stay in the places where there's a little bit of freedom still. And yeah. we'll get some cover from the governors or the the heads of the counties or whatever. So, yeah, um, you know, probably see us in the Oklahomas of the world and the, uh, you know, the the Texases of the world and the Floridas of the world and,
0: that's my buddy Doug wing. he knows the governor of utah he's he lives in Arizona with you down there, but he uh his dad is the founder of the little giant ladder company so he oh. he's uh he knows everybody in you yeah. maybe they can get you into Utah yeah, <laughs> so, yeah it's very conservative but you know I think um and I'm gonna just ask you this i I, I just I want to ask you this question um I, I think that Trump won. i i I believe that um what do you think i think he probably did
1: um i think that there is so much stuff that i've seen that it is shenanigans from too many people who are um liberals but are speaking out of their science you know uh guys like the princeton statistics professor who at the time and i'm sure the numbers got even bigger but at one point uh, during all the analysis, they pulled what's called single vote ballots. And a single vote ballot is where somebody comes in. They don't care who they're who else are voting for. They're going to vote for their senator because they like their senator. They're going to vote for one presidential candidate because, yeah. you know, that's the And they don't care about who the judges are, or who the sheriff is. They just one candidate. Yeah. Well, at one point there had been about ninety seven thousand one vote ballots cast in the state of Florida. Something like 800 of them were for Donald Trump and yeah. something like 96,200 of them were for Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And this statistics professor just said that is just statistically impossible. It's not even statistically improbable. It is just statistically impossible. It could have and never has happened like that. And right. will never happen like that. You see things like that, and there's just so many shenanigans uh, more more votes cast than registered voters. Um, but the problem yeah. is 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 conservatives and Republicans play too nice, and they 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 let themselves get run roughshod rather than fighting. yeah, and uh, and the left doesn't. This is their religion. Um, politics is the religion of the left. So think about how passionate you are about your religion. Yeah. They are passionate about politics. And that's what I've even heard people say. You know, they've got their own language, like religious people do. It's the woke language, right? And and you know, Jews wear uh, yarmulkes, but the left wears their masks. And you know, it's they got all these little things. They got little Fauci candles now with Anthony Fauci on them. Uh, you know, it's it's just insane. So, but,
0: but you know, it's it is insane, man. And, and and the crazy part to me is, I mean, Fauci was there standing on the podium with trump you know and 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 yet i i think a lot of us are hearing and learning that um well that guy's hands are are filthy Well, now right? yeah it
1: came out now he absolutely did fund gain of research yeah. gain of function research and he lied before the senate and and here's what i say it, we now know that it came out of the wuhan lab and that it yep. was gain of function and it was supported by american tax dollars funded by anthony fauci through this other group And they did it that way to hide it. So one of two things either happened, either A, Anthony Fauci did not know a single thing about it, at which point we can say, well, you were asleep at the wheel overseeing, uh, you know, uh, germs and viruses and infections, and you were asleep at the wheel and 5 million people worldwide died from that, you're fired. Right. Or, Or he knew that he was funding gain of research, which turned into 5 million people dying worldwide, which means... You're fired, and you're going to prison. Yes. and those are the only two options now.
0: But he will and, receive and
1: nothing. He,
0: there will be nothing done to him. Is it just conspiracy stuff that I've seen where he, he, and and Bill Gates owned all these these patents? And I've
1: never been able to establish that. I, yeah. I've
0: never been able to establish that. I, I think that um, look, somebody just put. An Amazon link to the Anthony Fauci celebrity. Are you kidding me? It's that's a real thing. Oh, absolutely. And watch, you know, when he gets
1: interviewed, he has him on his own. He has him on his own bookshelf.
0: Oh my God. Somebody yeah. uh, the
1: other day, somebody uh, on the news grabbed it and they pulled it up and they
0: showed him he had a whole lineup of his Fauci candles behind him on his bookshelf. So, so. I mean, you don't look and here's the thing. It's like the um, the the quote, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Right. So it it it's almost a moot point. Like I can get on here and go, you know, Donald Trump is the man and Joe Biden sucks. And and and, and everybody watching is going to be, you know, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because most of the people that are going to watch me, we're all kind of on the same page for the most part. Um, so it's, um, it's kind of a moot point to say, um, how do you, what, what is the purpose of what you're doing now? What's your ultimate goal for well, the American freedom tour?
1: Yeah. I want to inspire conservatives. You know this
0: guy? Yeah, I know. There's Richard Brook. Uh, one of my amazing. favorite humans. Look at that. He says, long time, no see. He's awesome. I love Richard. He's I amazing. golfed Richard Brook
1: and I golfed with, um, John Elway and his son-in-law one day and a beautiful day in, uh beautiful day in Court d'Alene. And here's what I love. I'll tell you this story since Richard's on with us. Um, it's the last hole a par three. And we were betting like a hundred dollars or something like that. And we get to the end and it's a par three. And Richard decides that he wants to bet even more money with John Elway. And John started the entire thing. He started the entire thing by um, by having an eagle on a par four Uh, number one, a big dog leg left. He went straight over the trees and eagled out. So the very last one, Richard decides we're going to do closest to the hole, closest to the hole. And so the son-in-law goes first and he's like eight feet away. And then I go next and I'm like six feet away. And then Richard goes and he's like two and a half feet away. And then he decides to double down with John Elway. (laughs) And and, and I said, Richard, um, first of all, uh, hundred dollars means nothing to John, right. And second of all, he's the greatest clutch athlete in the history <laughs> of the world. This, pre- <laughs> this is not pressure to him. You literally just handed him more money from. Oh and uh, sure enough, he uh, he he landed his ball about that far from the hole and we forked over an extra hundred dollars. Oh and my and Richard says true story. <laughs> um but that was that was funny. Oh but, my gosh. Um, Anyway, no, you know, getting back to the Donald Trump thing, we you know, we lost we're, or we yeah. didn't gain power is probably yeah, what right. we should say. Right. And the reality is, is that in 2022, we are going to destroy the House and Senate. Uh, we're going to win the House back by a large margin. The Senate, we're going to have probably four seats at least. That way we can at least keep them in check. And then hopefully we... Uh, Hopefully, the state legislators do their jobs in places like Pennsylvania. The U.S. Constitution says that it is the state's right to man uh, to do the um, time, manner, and function, I think it is, time, manner, and function of the elections. They are not set by federal uh, law. They are set by each individual state. So they can say, hey, it's a state holiday. We're taking the day off. They can say, we're going to let you vote for three days. They can say, we're going to do all mail-in like Washington state does. Each state can make their own laws. That's constitutional. And what happened was, was that um, in, for example, Pennsylvania, the state law by the legislators said that all ballots had to be in by a certain time on a certain day. Right. And the state um, Secretary of State came out, who was a leftist, and said, nope you can, we're going to take them until, uh, you know, a week afterwards. We're going to give you an extra week. Well, that is literally constitutionally wrong and illegal, but they didn't do a darn thing about it. So what they need to do is they need Mm -hmm. to make sure that the upcoming elections are not going to be hijacked by people who say, let's just break the rules. Let's
0: just, let's just break the rules. You know, like we did in, in 2020,
1: like we did in 2020, too many places allowing different things to happen Uh, And just a lot of shenanigans. So So, it was suspect at best.
0: How do you, and, and Jeffrey Wolf put on, and he lives in California, in LA. So he, you know, he said it depends on who's counting the votes. Like Karen campaigned for Rossi. Is it Rossi? Rossi? Yeah. Um, Dino
1: Rossi, Karen Dino was my best friend. And, wow. uh, and, he, and that's the campaign that I cut my teeth on was the 2004 election. In fact, if you go to my political website, I have a website called Politicrossing. crossing, uh, P O L I T I crossing. It's the intersection of faith and in politics. Somebody and type I, that in Politic crossing. It's like, it's like, uh, p-o-l-i-t-i and then the word crossing like you you've got an intersection yeah anyway um i interviewed dino during the during the um after the election and he explains exactly how you steal an election and uh he did a, a great interview there but uh he won that election he was the first guy uh, first guy to win as a Republican in like 40 years in Washington state, but it was under 2000 votes. So the law says you have to count again. So they did another count. Well, he was ahead by 220 votes. Well, the law says that on the second or on the second count or the first recount, if, uh, if you're behind, you can pay for a full hand writ, uh, hand done hand recount. Well, John Kerry had lost the president presidential election. So he gave the Washington state Democrats a million dollars to do this paid for hand recount. And after the hand recount, which is also by state law the last recount, so this is all you get. there's a vote if it's under 2000 you can do a recount. If the recount there's a, a it's under 2000, you can do one more recount and the winner of the second recount is the winner. Well on the second recount, the current uh, attorney General Christine Gregoire, won the state by 129 votes out of 3 million votes closest governor's election in u.s history 129 votes we found 1100 felons dogs uh, dead people uh, all sorts of things and now there's a book called stealing elections by john fund of the wall street journal and he was going back to print during that whole thing wow. and uh and it ends up he said to the wall street journal stop the presses we've got a whole nother story." And oh yeah, many boxes of ballots just happened to show up and they'd find them behind the printer and they found them out in the garage and it so, was, it was just insane. How,
0: so, uh, how do we stop that though? How, how do we, cause that happened in, in the presidential election. I mean, it was insane and Republicans and, and, have to be
1: tougher. They have to demand, no, we are not leaving the room. We're not leaving the room while you count these ballots. I don't care what you say. I don't care if you tell us it's time. If it, Until you leave, I'm not leaving. And uh, I mean, we've we've got to fight at the state level and say, no, no ballots are coming in after 5 p.m. on this date. That's what the state law is. We're not going to jimmy rig the law spur of the moment. But how it's do really you just a it- matter of saying no and not
0: letting them do it but you've got the Pennsylvania secretary of state. I mean, let's look at Michigan. Holy crap. Do you want to talk about a dictatorship there going on? But like, how do, when, when you've got armed police officers standing at the door saying, you're not coming in like what happened in Detroit. I mean, again, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't have you need to have a
1: team of lawyers. I mean, there needs to be teams of lawyers. There needs yeah. to be video cameras of everything. Yeah, yeah, otherwise they they're just relentless. It, yeah, it's, it's blood sport. For the left it's blood sport. And you know, they're they're out to win. Listen to listen to how they talk about America. You know, listen to uh the the, the little gal up there in uh, Minnesota. Um, Ilhan Omar. Um, I mean, think about that. Think about what the, the, the left gets away with. She literally committed immigration fraud by marrying her brother. She committed bigamy. And immigration fraud, and she's a sitting member of the House of Representatives.
0: Insanity. Eric
1: Eric Swalwell spent years having a sexual relationship with a known Chinese spy, and yet he is on the security uh, committee. You know, the intelligence committee for the U.S. House. They just uh, the the the, um, the, the uh, fox is in the in-house and and we got to get him out.
0: I I agree with you man. I I think that conservatives need to we we need to get tough. We need to get tough and and you know, I I've seen and I know you saw it. I mean, look at uh, Fox News even turned on us. <laughs> I was like, "What the heck? What is going on here?" But, you know, so I think what you're doing, the American Freedom Tour where you're bringing together the top conservatives in the in the entire nation, um i mean dude donald trump jr is that that's that's just and he's a great guy by the way yeah i got
1: to know him a little bit and and uh and he is literally one of the most humble guys i've ever met like he'll he, he shows up and he's like hey tell me what you need me to do really really impressive when you meet people who everybody else trashes all the
0: time and yeah. then you realize
1: they're really good people
0: yeah I, yeah i don't know him personally but i i I have that opinion of him. So yeah, yeah. I think it's amazing. Chris, I, I want to say thank you, man. I am so grateful you came on here well, today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. And, and and you know, look for us. I'm going to convince him to go live with me on Amazon. We didn't even talk about your 22 books in 14 different languages. My yeah. gosh. It's crazy, man, what yeah. you've accomplished. Yeah. And, and and here you were just a a, a troublemaker back in your, <laughs> your troublemaker year. with a dream i love it man it's awesome so thank you i really mean thank you for coming on thank here you, Ken. and yeah and thank you to everybody who shared this out chris if you'll hang tight with me here for a minute i'm going to end the live stream but thank you to everybody for being here chris thank you make sure you all go to the americanfreedomtour.com buy a ticket, go to the event. It's, it's coming up in Phoenix next month. Get in there. I mean, it's only like $35 for the entry level ticket. It's crazy. So go check it out. Chris, thank you so much. We'll see you guys all later. Have a great day.